from Boca Raton, Florida. This is Behind the Bima. On this episode, the rabbis are joined by Rabbi Moshe Kotlarski, director of the International Conference of Chabad Lubavitch Emissaries. Rabbi Kotlarski discusses his role as leader of the Chabad Shluchim, what he learned from the Rebbe, and shares two exclusive announcements. Also, the rabbis discuss their meeting with Dr. William Latson, the local principal now fired for engaging in Holocaust denial. Plus, a truly amazing story about a special $1 bill. All this and more, Behind the Bima. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's Wednesday night at 9 o'clock. I am Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg, joined by colleagues and dear friends, Rabbi Philip Moskowitz and Rabbi Josh Brody. And we are here to take you... Behind the Bima. We're here to take you behind the Bima. Thank you for joining us tonight and every Wednesday night. We've got another amazing show for you tonight. Great topics of conversation. An incredible guest, really special opportunity to speak with Rav Moshe Kotlarski of Chabad, uh, who's leading so many components of Chabad to get really behind the scenes, behind the Bima, and to hear more about it. But let's start by thanking our generous sponsors, Jack and Ella Miller, who are hoping their grandparents, our dear friends Lou and Shaney Miller, come back to New York soon to visit. The uh, Lou and Shaney are back here in Boca. We love to have them with us here in Boca. I'm sorry yeah. to tell their grandchildren that come see your grandparents here in Boca. Um, but uh, I don't know. The weather's been magnificent here the weather now. Weather got really and nice here over the last couple of days. Weather and, got and we'll, beautiful. We'll this deliver is... any messages you guys want us to deliver out there. <laughs> yeah, anyone who wants to communicate with spouse, maybe just sponsor show and we're happy to deliver it. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So big thank you. And thank you to all our sponsors each and every week. You help us promote not us and our banter, which doesn't need anybody sponsoring. Um, but our, our guests, our guests have really inspiring lives and have so much to offer. And uh, you help us get that out there. And we're so grateful. And and uh, to those who are watching, our viewers on, on YouTube and Facebook, to those who are listening to the podcast, please take a moment to rate and review, which is what enables us to get the uh, inspirational messages of our guests out there. And we thank you for being with us. We don't take for granted that this fun experiment that we are still keeping up, season two, episode seven, we don't take for granted that it's still going. So hopefully we'll, we'll be renewed for a third season and beyond. Who knows? So funny. You know, you, there are a few... Uh inquiries that came in that people want to be on the show want to be interviewed so you know they you forwarded them to me i called back a few this week and so, you know this is the way the conversation always begins hello so and so yeah this is josh brody who who behind the beamer oh behind the beamer <laughs> yeah none of us I'll none of us saw that. where it was going or thought it would get here but we're we're having fun we're having fun we're which having, is really great a lot of, a lot you know tonight's guest is important because rabbi brody for those who are listening on the podcast cannot see but rabbi brody's wearing a tie tonight that means that we have a very important guest tonight, one that he is looking – I think the last one was Rabbi Aaron Cutler that uh, that Rabbi Brody dressed up for. We I'm, one just, of the, I'm just looking at the color of our ties. This indicative of anything? Got two red ties well, and a blue tie. There you go. One of, the, one of the most fun events of the year at Boca Raton Synagogue. I hope it can happen this year. Our Young Leadership Committee, the YLC, hosts a event, a trivia night called The Q. There's great food, real competition teams. One of the teams who's been winning every year, I believe, should be tested for steroids. They stack their team. I don't know if they're Googling the answers. I'm not just a sore loser. I'm just joking about it. They're, they're a wonderful team. It's possible it includes our fact checker among them, which is why he's the fact checker. Um, anyway, so I thought a great question or a great series of questions within the queue would be to show pictures Again, for our listeners, you, you check it out on YouTube, but to show pictures of episodes of Behind the Bima and based on what Rabbi Brody's wearing that night to guess who the guest was that night. Who was the guest? Because Rabbi Brody's like a chameleon and his Never outfit know. changes. 
based on who the guest is. So you do. You never know. You never know. Never know. You know it's I not the same as last beard. week. I grow. I tell you. you know, grow I was going to shave for tonight. No, the opposite. You got to grow <laughs> that beard long right for tonight's guest. I know. We've got a lot to talk about, a lot to catch you up on. And a lot to share some some thoughts. And, and as always, we welcome yours. So for those who are watching and listening live, uh, please, in the comments, share your questions, your thoughts, what you want to hear about, uh, your pushback, your ideas, or even your sense of humor. Rabbi Brody and I, Rabbi Moskowitz, was busy at Big Mazel Tov. His son Moshe put on tefillin for the first time this past Sunday morning, which we attended. But while they were davening at the equivalent of 10 a.m., <laughs> Rabbi Brody and I had a meeting. And we met with Principal Latson, William Latson who the very next day, Monday, the Board of Education uh, in our area met and once again heard from members of the community and then convened to deliberate. Only they didn't de deliberate long. They really took a vote and they voted to overturn their previous vote to reinstate uh, Principal Latson, which is not yet complete. There's still a process which is in motion. But the day before that vote, um, Will Latson had reached out to us and I think probably because we have a mutual friend, but also on social media saw and through behind the Bima that we were clearly leading this campaign about not allowing Holocaust denial to, um, to go unanswered or unchecked. And so he reached out and there was no hesitation on my part, whether we should meet with him, because if you have the opportunity to meet and to talk and to relate and to educate and to learn yourself, there's, there's no substitute. It's easy to go online and it's easy to protest and it's easy to come out with statements um, but to meet and to try to persuade or sway or transform someone's opinion is, is harder, but it's much more significant and it's more lasting. So there was no hesitation that we would meet. And we met on Sunday morning. And Rabbi Brody, what were your impressions of that meeting? It's a very interesting meeting. I was wondering, first of all, were you a little nervous to get on the, on the phone with him? We met over Zoom. Um, a little nervous. I wasn't nervous because, mm. honestly, it wasn't intimidated or nervous. I kind of felt like we were in the driver's seat. We represent the community. We have the support of the community, which overwhelmingly felt that his mistake, and let's assume it was a mistake, was so egregious that you forfeit the right to remain sure. in public education, and we wish you well in whatever other arena or area of life you want to go into, but you just no longer have a right to be in education when you got wrong something so so fundamental so yeah, how do you think the conversation went did, did you feel shocked by his, no no i didn't really feel a lot of sincerity i mean again if he thinks he's speaking to people that actually might have an impact on what's going to happen with his job in the future i would think that things would have been a little bit different but there was really nothing i thought maybe maybe shed a tear let us think that you're really sincere show us you're going to double down on holocaust education you're going to do something different but instead he you know, when it came time to uh, dealing with the with the email, you know, he couldn't really deal with it because he was dealing right. with the prom. I mean, there was right. <laughs> it's so. a fair impression. And, and definitely there was not the passion, the enthusiasm. There no. was no sense of desperation. And, and, and if it were me, I would hope that I would never be in such a position. But if it were me, all I would want to get across is how remorseful, how regretful, how terrible I feel. It wouldn't be about my job or coming back. It wouldn't even necessarily be about your granting me forgiveness. It would just be about my wanting you to let your community know how absolutely horrifically terrible I feel. Please get that word out. And he struggled to make us feel that way. And right. I think we worked hard to actually even try to feed him some script. We're giving him the words. You know, <laughs> over Dr. Lassen, and over and over again. Yeah, right? why you would you say, say this? this? And don't right. you feel that? And do you want to say this? And I, so here's my takeaway. And here's my conclusion from it. 
I don't think he's a bad guy. I don't think he's an anti-Semite, and I don't think he's a Holocaust denier. I don't think he used good judgment. I don't know what got into his head. He explained to us the background, the circumstance. He told us the reason he was quiet for two years is because he essentially had a muzzle put over him. He had an order from the uh, Palm Beach County that he wasn't allowed to apologize, wasn't allowed to talk about it. You could buy that, not buy that. Um, he told us that it really is not about getting his job back. It's just his reputation. He wants people to know that he's not a person who denies the Holocaust. He's been to the Holocaust Museum in Washington many times, and he enforced Holocaust education. Um, I will say the two things that bothered me, though, in the conversation were, number one, he referenced, he said, you do know, I was shocked to hear this, if it's true, I was shocked. If it's not true, it's part of the problem. He said to us, he said, you do know that there are families in Spanish River right. who deny the Holocaust. Right. And I was their principal too, which is bizarre. And if there were families who are racist, would you be their principal too? Or families who are who are misogynistic or homophobic or or Islamophobic or any other form of discrimination, would you say I'm their principal too, number one? And number two was he kept referring to it as um, it was a poorly worded email. And I kept trying to correct him. You don't, <laughs> right. you don't mean that, right? Principal Atsu, you don't mean poorly worded. You mean that the whole notion of the email was absurd, right? right. That's what I meant. I, I shouldn't have even broached it. Anyway, so I want to tell you my conclusion is I wish him well. I do believe in life people get second chances. I do believe if somebody apologizes, they deserve the benefit of the doubt that they mean it. And I wish him well. I just wish him well, not in education. I think that some mistakes are so bad that you forfeit your right to continue in that field or uh, shaping the minds of young people or in education. So, you know, if there, if there were a message I could get out, people shouldn't discriminate. If he wants to do a lane change, a career change, go into something else, God bless, have success, be well, wish him well, hope he will spend his life trying to want to correct this misunderstanding uh, that he denies the Holocaust or is an anti-Semite. But, you know, it's not for me. Who am I to accept the apology or you? We're not entitled. We're not a right. Maybe a Holocaust survivor could accept the apology. And even then, who says who speaks for all survivors or who says who speaks for all family of those who were martyred? Um, so it's not for us to forgive, but I do think he deserves a second chance. He should go on with great success and happiness, just not in the field of education. I'll tell you what I found very interesting. At the board vote, so you were listening to the board members go and, and give their little spiel, and one by one, they detailed how they had no understanding of just how painful this was for the Jewish community. They had mm. no understanding of how Holocaust denial was so visceral for us and so painful for us. And, they, mm. and to their credit, they said, now that we've received your feedback and we've gotten your calls internationally, we have an awareness of just how painful denial of the Holocaust is. And I found that very interesting because if you grew up Jewish, and certainly if, you're a, if your relatives went through the Holocaust, you can't even fathom that someone wouldn't understand how painful that is. Until someone reminded me that, that we live somewhat in a little bit of a bubble and that there are people that live in America for whom the Holocaust is not their sole narrative by which they define ourselves like many of us are. And if you grew up in a different set of circumstances in America, in different climates, in different environments, in different communities, the Holocaust is not as omnipresent as it is in the lives of us. And so for many of these people, I found it interesting that they didn't realize how hurtful denial of the Holocaust would be to the Orthodox, to the, to the religious, the Jewish community in South Florida. It's That's a fair point. It? It's a fair point and an important insight you're making, which is we shouldn't take for granted or we shouldn't project onto others what we assume is obvious. However, and this is the beauty of Behind the Bima, my dear Chavir and Yedid Nefesh, I would humbly disagree with you in the following way. I actually as disappointed as 
as I am in Principal Latson, I'm deeply and profoundly disappointed in that Board of Education because the last vote was four to three to reinstate him. Four people thought he deserved to be reinstated. And then now it was all of a sudden unanimous and they were tripping over one another trying to say how outraged they are, how outrageous what he did is. What is the only difference between the last meeting and this meeting? There's only one difference. Our outrage, our calling for nobody voting for them and ensuring that they don't continue in that role. The only difference between the last meeting and this meeting was our outrage. Of course they know about the Holocaust. What rock are you living under that you don't know that 6 million people, the greatest genocide, the most horrific atrocity in the history of humanity? You may not know the details. You may not know the statistics. You may not know a survivor. You may not know somebody who lost a member of their family. But you know about the Holocaust because you know what's the law that the Holocaust is always going to come up in any conversation. Someone will compare someone to a Holocaust. I forgot the name of that law. So you know, you, you can't be living under a rock and not know that. And I was disappointed the way they tripped over one another to feign outrage at this point over his previous behavior when for two years they didn't. And in the previous meeting, four of them, four to three, voted to reinstate him. So I didn't buy it. Listen, obviously you and I agree. Goodwin's law, the fact checker relates to know. But <laughs> obviously I agree with you. The, the, the analogy I would give is I'm sure there are sensitivities in the African-American community that you and I are unaware of. That might seem obvious to them, but because you and I didn't grow up a certain way with a certain color in certain communities, we might just not be as sensitive to it. We might use language that we might not over. Now, again, I'm not forgiving him and I'm not forgiving the board. I'm just playing devil's advocate in the conversation that it could be part of our shock at how could they not understand how hurtful this is, is they just might not have grown up in the same environment with the same lingo and verbiage that you and I grew up with. I, I'm not, buying I'm not it. sure I buy it. Listen, okay. Godwin's Law, our fact checker says Godwin's Law, quote, as an online discussion grows longer, the probability of a comparison involving Nazis or Hitler approaches one. So there's Godwin's Law, it approaches one. They don't know the intricacies and the details, but the notion about how offensive, how egregious, how historical the Holocaust is, and that somebody who even suggested or implied a denial of it, and they shouldn't be associated with that, come on, there's no way. We live in the most densely... Holocaust survivor population or area of the country. And even if they're not aware of the details, I'm just not buying it. Our special guest is going to join us any moment. We can come back to this conversation afterwards. And I would welcome Rabbi Brody, who has a lot of credibility, having gone on March of the Living, having taken students to Poland. How many times? There's 14 times. But 14 times. There's, there's even talk at the last March of the Living, which was actually two years ago, about creating some sort of March of the Living for non-Jews. Because there is that element out there that feels you got to educate and what better way to educate them than bringing them actually to the sites. So it is being discussed. Yeah. Well, I believe important. I, didn't I read an article that our local NCSY is starting virtual tours of, of Auschwitz and Birkenau for people locally who can't get to Poland. Yeah. Yeah. It's about to begin in all of the uh, local private and public schools throughout South Florida. I think there's about 30 right now that are lined up. So we should wow. encourage, we should encourage yeah. Jew and non-Jew alike to go. But one of the takeaways of this story, we, we like to always look at the takeaway, what can we learn, what can we implement, how can we grow, is, you know, there's the Principal Latson angle of the story, and there's the Board of Education, the superintendent, that angle of the story. But the angle of the story that I'm, I'm very proud of is our members, and not just locally, the people who identify with the BRS movement, or just the movement of good people everywhere, um, they picked up the phone, they picked up their keyboard, they sent an email, right. thousands, right. without exaggeration, and we... We are known to exaggerate. Without exaggeration, literally. thousands, literally thousands of people emailed and, and called to the point that they actually knocked the system off the hook. And that's, that's what made the difference. 
So people should be proud of that. And they should also feel empowered by that to know that advocacy makes a difference. Getting involved makes a difference. So it, it's obvious and easy for us when it's Holocaust denial, but if we're going to move the needle on racism and discrimination, which we're not here to weigh in on whether it's systemic or non-systemic or whose fault or how it's fixed, but every one of us can be part of the solution. So whatever the issue, whatever the cause of justice, we can't sit back and be complacent. It's our outrage, not rage, but outrage that is very controlled and, and thoughtful um, that makes a difference. It made a difference here and it can make a difference on whatever the other issues of the day. And we should make sure to use our voices in those ways. They're very, very powerful and it's very, very important. We are momentarily going to be joined by our guest, uh, Rabbi Moshe Kartlarski. I'll take a moment to just speak about him and introduce him even before he comes on so we don't utilize the time then. Um, Rabbi Kartlarski is the director of the International Conference of Chabad Lubavish Emissaries and vice chairman of Mirkos Le'inyani Chinuch, the educational arm of Chabad Lubavish movement. Why don't you that translate that for people? For, I was about to say, so that big, sounds like a, a title. big position. Okay, here, let me translate it the following way. There are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of Chabad rabbis across the planet. He's in charge of them all. He determines who goes where. He coordinates. He is the centralized authority. He is involved in dealing with issues of disputes and recently made peace between two great shlichim of two great countries who for two decades hadn't worked together. This was one of the uh, headlines wow. I'd seen recently. Uh, he began in... 1968, traveling the globe in order to work with local community leaders to plan future Chabad centers. So really had a, not a, not a map of the United States or the tri-state area, a globe with thumbtacks. I don't know that he had this literally, second literally of the night, Shul Sinek, uh, but he had a globe and stickers or thumbtacks or post-it notes, whatever he used. And he identified cities for Chabad houses and, and Chabad rabbis who can go there and change the world. And today, there are 4,000 religious and educational institutions Crazy. worldwide. He is a fundraiser. He is a powerful figure in outreach. He is involved in Campus International Foundation, the Roar Jewish Learning Institute. So since 1968, he has been a globetrotter who has been traveling all over the globe and oversees today approximately 5,000, I think it's closer to 6,000 rabbis, 6,000 rabbis. Incredible. Just think about that wow. number for a moment, That's what a that means. 6,000 rabbis across the globe. We've been looking forward to this conversation for a long number. time. We've been we've been trying to bring him to BRS. He was supposed to come last year. It didn't work out. But uh, but we've had our eye on uh, speaking with Rabbi Kalarski for a long time. Um, and certainly many of our members, we have a very significant Chabad community in BRS, something that we're very proud of, our Shtibel Minion. And uh, they've been very supportive of this. And I know there's a lot of excitement about this interview. And I could just say, I'm going to be in Rwanda this the coming June, and we're going to be given food by Chabad. There's a Chabad in Rwanda. It's crazy, mm, right? Chabad everywhere. Yeah, yeah, there is. That's one of the things we'll talk to him about because whether you identify with Chabad's hashkafa, ideology, halacha, practice, and we're not going to get into any controversy, controversy about Chabad, but we're all beneficiaries. We're all Chabad because when you travel anywhere in the globe on right. business or a vacation, when someone's in Avil or a mourner or they need kosher food, or God forbid they're in a crisis or an emergency and they need a friendly face, Chabad is always there. They have they have been most nefesh, the self-sacrifice, the selflessness to travel around the globe in order to make that difference is truly, truly extraordinary. And we all should be grateful for that. Again, whether we identify fully or whatever hesitations, which I have none, I'm, I'm a Chabad Shliach personally in the Bokertan Synagogue, Shtibel uh, Minyan, our, our uh, unit of, of Chabad. So, How do you um, get introduced? I'm the Admiral of Boston. What do you, what's your introduction? Me? 
Yeah. When when they introduce you at the Stiebel Minion, you don't get anything. Oh, the Stiebel Minion? He calls yeah. me Harav Ephraim Chaim Goldberg. That's all. I get the Oddmore of Boston. Oddmore of Boston. It's worthy. You are an Oddmore. I hear that. Adonai Moreno Varabenu. No question. <laughs> no question about it. One of the other things that he's uh, involved in, as if his plate is not full enough already, is running the Kenesa Shluchim, which means that five, 6,000 of the Shluchim, of the emissaries of the rabbis around the planet come together once a year. And imagine coordinating that. Five, he 6, coordinate the photo? rabbis. Does he do the, the picture, photo? the meals, the program? Wow. And Chabad rabbis specialize in programming, so to impress them with a the program cannot be easily, cannot be easy. So he's also in charge of that, which this year they are for the first time moving online. It will wow. be virtual because out of respect to the state of New York, who obviously is monitoring very closely gatherings of that side size, it is moving, it is moving online. So because um, if you're living in, in Timbuktu and this is your one time a year where you really come together and you see family members and you see old right. acquaintances, it's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal to miss it. Yeah, very big deal. Right. Timbuktu, what's the most exotic Chabad location you can think of? What's the one that you well, that was my answer. That was my answer to the question of if I could meet anyone, who would I meet? I said, I want to meet the most remote Chabad rabbi on the planet because I want to understand what drives him, what gives him that sense of self-sacrifice. How does he protect his children in those environments? So uh, maybe Rwanda. Rabbi Brody, you'll meet him in Rwanda. I'm saying Rwanda's <laughs> got to be a pretty exotic place. I mean, how, who's coming to Minion in Rwanda? It's got it's <laughs> yeah. to be up there. It's got to be up there. Yeah. yeah they're they're all over. And we'll, we'll talk about, I think, maybe the newest Chabad Shliach in the UAE. UAE. Now the UAE now has a Chabad. So that's crazy. It's well, there extraordinary. Multiple rabbis there. Everyone, everyone trying to get a little piece of the pie there. Yeah, <laughs> by, by the way, he, he won't have a problem getting a minion. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of a lot of chief rabbis. Exactly. Exactly. So um it's exciting. Were that any of you exciting. members were you members of Tsivos Hashem when you were a kid? My sister was. <laughs> she of course she was. Was. Do you know what's I, 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 I did not grow up in a Chabad community in, in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, I'm, I come from a Litvisha family. And, but although I will say over the last 11 years here in BRS, I've slowly, slowly, my, uh, slowly converted a little bit. As uh, some of the members of Stiebelman like to point out, that while my externals read Litvish, my, uh, my panemius, the inside of me, is becoming a little bit more Chabad every single time. So uh, we'll see. You're Maybe, you ever meet the Rebbe? Me, no. Yeah. yeah. I did not meet the Rebbe either. No. I obviously a great regret in life, but I did not. I never got a dollar. I never met the Rebbe. Um, but you have a, who's that dot? You have a dollar on your wall. I have a dollar right. on my wall that somebody gave it's me. Yes, one of the community who got that dollar gave it to me. Right. I did tell a great story last year of a dollar that somebody yeah. got. Uh, a woman in our community who grew up in a Babbage family and they drove in from Baltimore two crown heights once a year and around the kids birthdays in order to get a dollar from the Rebbe and they'd write the kid's name on the dollar. And the parents said, if you uh, keep that dollar, we'll replace it with $2 that you can go buy some candy. And this young lady was at a stage of her life that she was rebellious a little bit. And she decided, you know what? The heck with this, the heck with it all. Forget keeping that dollar. She's going to take the very dollar she just got from the Rebbe and use it to buy the candy, give it away. She's done with it. Fast forward many years, I forgot exactly how many years, but it was more than a decade, many years. She is working at a store, at a bookstore 
in another community altogether. And um, she gives change to a customer in the store. And the customer gets back a dollar and says, what is this? And reads the name on the dollar. And she hears her own name being read. And she grabs and looks at that dollar and realizes that was her dollar. That dollar was the dollar the Rebbe had given. Wow. It was the dollar she had given away because she was running away. And the lesson is you can't run away from your destiny. You can't run away from who you're meant to be, whether it's the brachas that are chasing you in life, the dollars. Right. You can't run away from your mission. You can't run away from your destiny. You got to uh, you got to fulfill the purpose for which we are for which we are here. No, um, I, I, now you kind of you threw that in there, but I don't know if our listeners understand. They just got the the most golden story. You just you just burned the most golden story ever. It's a great story. In two it's minutes. Great story. Story. Amazing story. I almost it's met the rabbi. How is that possible? Almost because oh. my dad on a Sunday morning oh, once second. told me, "We got we're going live." Uh, he he's got oh. a call. Okay, he's got a call. I'll just tell you, Rabbi Moskowitz. My my yeah. father. It was a Sunday morning, and my father was being taken to the Rebbe with uh, Rabbi Kanelski and Elizabeth. And he says, "Do you want to? Did you want to come and meet this Rabbi in New York?" So of course I said, "No. Why would I want to go on a Sunday <laughs> to meet a Rabbi in New York? Who's the Rabbi?" And he tried to tell me who he was. I had no idea who he was. So, so you missed the opportunity. I, uh, I did. I did. My father met wow. him. Wow. And I I'll tell you, my connection actually, to the yeah yeah sorry. I was going to say, there's a database apparently where you can go online and see, depending on the day, every single person wow. that met the Rebbe. You can see a picture. So I've been trying to find that photo. My wow. father with the Rebbe. That would be that would be, yeah. be very powerful for you. Yeah, I'll tell that you. For me, been... the, the big uh, the big connection for me is when I was in YU. So on Thursday nights, you know, we didn't have shear or class on Friday. So on Thursday nights, one second. Nights, we, should, one second yeah. Before before you go on. Should we call him and see if he picks up our call? <laughs> call waiting. <laughs> call waiting. So on okay. Thursday nights, I used to. Um, <laughs> he's hearing us. So on Thursday nights, I used to go to the Rebbe's OL, and um, we used to go out like two in the morning, and we would spend a few hours at the Rebbe's OL, which uh, is one of the most spectacular places for introspection, for just being sure. by yourself, for for davening, and. Um, okay, here we are. Wow. Okay, we'll come back to that. Hello. He's muted. I don't think he Hello. realizes that. Shalom Aleichem. Aleichem Shalom. Do you hear me? I hear you, but Rabbi Goldberg is muted. I don't think he realizes Okay, can you hear me? There we go. Yes. Rabbi what a great spouse. What a great honor. Anyway, I just wanted to tell Rabbi Moskowitz, I I don't know, on the, on the camera, on the computer, I couldn't tell you, but the Alter Rebbe was called the Litvak. So I heard okay, you say I'm... that you're a Litvak. So I want you to know that by the Magid, the Alter Rebbe was known as the Litvak. So I oh, think that oh, Hashem, I'm a good Litvak company then. predate all of us Lubavitcher. So, <laughs> so there's hope for me. So okay. just needs to grow his beard in a little bit more. We'll get there. But Kalarski, can you hear us? Can you hear me? Um, not well, but. Uh... We can't let tech up on your computer. So speak loud, and I hope I'll hear you. Okay, we hear you well. So I want to say it's a great honor for us to have you with us this evening and to go behind the bima to learn more about you and about the amazing Chabad movement that you're so involved in and so responsible for so much. I, of I am not responsible. I am not responsible for the introduction that you made. You know, it's <laughs> not. It's it's there. Are, there are certain things that are beyond my scope, but I won't go and. Uh, I mean, you know, it's uh, it's it's next week. It's next week's parsha, but Eved Avram and 
I'm nothing more than a shliach like every shliach, and I am I am uh, privileged to have a some type of a role, but don't describe anything because the Rabbi Barcella in Rwanda who will give you a beautiful meal uh, when you go there shortly and will have a minion for you. Can't wait. It's a shliach of the Rebbe. And the shluch of all over the world and what inspires everybody is the commitment to the Rebbe's ideology that we have to prepare ourselves and prepare the world for the coming of Mashiach. And the only way to do that is by reaching each and every Jew. So... Love it. 100%. So I take it back. We are all shluchim. I'm not giving you any credit. Um, we're all doing our shluchas to our responsibility, which is a perfect segue into the first question. How many shluchim are there currently across the globe? And how many more opportunities for placement are there? There are generations of young Chabad growing up with that hashkafa, the ideology, the desire the ambition to go out on their sense of being an emissary, an ambassador, and are there enough places to put them, to place them? What does the future of shluchas look like? Well, I'll tell you like this, you know, there are countries, first of all, my belief is that for every thousand to fifteen hundred Jews, there's placement. So if there's 14 million Jews, 18 million Jews, you do the arithmetic, there's place for a lot more shluchim. But at the same token, we are going now into a different, we have been going for the past few years into a different direction. Uh, there are shluchim that are sent out just to teach. There are shluchim for teens, there are shluchim for campus, shluchim for young Jewish professionals, this Chabad on call, shluchim going out to deal with the medical communities, with not only with the patients, but with, their, with the medical community, with the doctors, the nurses, the support staff. And in each one of these areas, we have already quite a number of shluchim. I think there are about, uh, today, about 400 shluchim that are dealing in the states that are dealing exclusively with campus. There are about 300 shluchim around the world that are dealing exclusively with teens. So the opportunities keep on growing. And uh, you're right, there's uh, the world is... Saturated. I don't see you know being placed for more than one shliach in in Rwanda. But you mentioned the UAE. Uh, he's not actually the last shliach today. Uh, I mean, I was going to announce it actually by the kinnis, but I'll give you a, a behind the meme. Wow! Breaking oh, news. His wife were in my office today, and they're going to be moving to Lagos, Nigeria. Whoa! So oh, wow. there is constantly new opportunities. And what is amazing is that uh, this is our biggest challenge is finding places. But the Rebbe inoculated a generation that didn't even have the opportunity to meet him. If you think you're the only ones that didn't have an opportunity to get a dollar and to meet the Rebbe, there are a lot of young couples that never had the opportunity to meet the Rebbe because they themselves are 23, 24, 25 years old. And it's more than that since... That bitter day of Gimel Thomas when the Rebbe was physically taken from us. And uh, they are begging, give me a community of 100 Jews, 500 Jews, and I'm ready to go. So there is a dedication and devotion from young couples. From uh, We have uh, this year, unfortunately, the first year we didn't do it, but it comes Pesach. 
have seven, eight hundred young rabbinical students don't go home to eat their mother's gefilter fish and gribbenes and uh, and latkes, and they go to give away their Pesach to spend time in a remote community in the Ukraine or a remote community in uh, in the Far East. And I shouldn't say the Far East because I once took someone over to the Rebbe and uh, told him that this is this and this person from Bangkok. And the Rebbe turned to him with a smile and said, you're from a place in the East that is not called near. The Rebbe didn't want to say the word far on the Jew. He said, you're from a wow. place in the East that is not called near. And they're ready to go out to the farthest corners. They have to get down on their hands and knees and kasha and make a kitchen. And sometimes they have to catch fish in the ocean and and, and cook it. And, uh, and we send stuff from here. I mean, we send it all over the world. There are Sadarim, and uh, comes a summer program. People give away the summer vacation to go. So there is that dedication and devotion. It is. It's the Messiris Nefesh, the selflessness to go and to, to, to buy a one-way ticket and to go and to move one's life with the assumption they're going to stay is extraordinary. So tell us about Nigeria. Is it that the Nigerian community contacted you or Chabad and said, we need someone? Or do you travel the globe, well, identify the next place, and then send someone there? Well, first of all, we have, uh, you know, we have quite a few shluchim in Central Africa. We have in the Ivory Coast, we have in Ghana, we have in the, quite a few places. We have a central office run by Rabbi Bentalila in the Congo. I mean, I've been to the Congo and I've uh, met with leaders of quite a few of the communities. And, uh, you know, they'll, uh, we have someone in, uh, in Abuja, and he's the one that is bringing out the guy that is coming out to Lagos came today to meet me and a very, very fine young couple. He has been there already for a number of years as a young rabbinical student. He was there for Pesach. He was there in the summer. And his wife was in Abuja and uh, the shlich in Abuja made the shidduch. And now he's moving to, and now he's moving to, uh, to Lagos. You know, we have been, I mean, my son 13 years ago was in Lagos in the middle of the night for Hanukkah. In the middle of the night, we got a call that uh, the police were taking him away. Why? Because he had bullets. My son, Mendy, that they used, hollowed out bullets that they used to make a menorah. And they saw the bullets and they took him off the line of going onto a plane, going to the next stop and uh, and this. And uh, it was a real harrowing experience. So we've been dealing with these countries for many, many years. And the UAE that, is one of them. Rabbi Duchman has been there already five, six years, the only resident rabbi there. And he has been doing tremendous work here. Would you believe in in, uh, in Abu Dhabi and, uh, that in the UAE there's a Kalmator with 40 kids? Wow. Wow. You know, you talk about Sivis Hashem. Actually, these days it's 40 years since Sivis Hashem. And we made it see kids. Chabad Kids has made a pledge that we're going to bring in 40,000 new members into Tzivah Hashem. It's so, amazing. I, it's Rabbi, I was, never, I was a member. I was a member of Tzivah Hashem, but I never made it past private. Do you think you can... Well, uh, you know what? We'll let you grow up and we could do, we'll turn you into a general because <laughs> we consider BRS to be a Chabad house. So, But oh. you might not want to tell your president about it, but... Uh, with Rabbi Goldberg <laughs> and you rabbis there, 
It's a very, very prominent Chabad house. What makes a place a Chabad house? That you do what the Rebbe's mission was, and that was to reach out to each and every Jew. And I don't know rabbis that are doing it. With, I think I think that you have a the Chabad dedication. We do, and we, we have we have a very close relationship. So with our- uh, I, you know, you're doing well. I think that you you became a general already, Rebbe. <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, our local, um, our colleagues here in Boca, our Chabad colleagues, you know, Rabbi Denberg, Rabbi Booker, Rabbi Nur, Rabbi Liberov, I don't want to leave anyone out. They're dear, dear friends, colleagues. We work closely with them. Denberg, and we do. Rabbi we... Booker, Rabbi Nu, yeah. Rabbi Herzl. Rabbi Herzl, exactly. Shui Bistin. So, Rabbi Liberov. Rabbi Liberov. Yep. Yes. Rabbi if I can ask you, if we can go behind the bima for a moment. I, I do feel very close to and inspired by the Rebbe and his teachings and his legacy. I read many biographies, multiple biographies of the Rebbe. And one of the themes in the biographies is that not only did the Rebbe not believe in the notion of retiring, that the Rebbe himself never took a vacation day. The mission is so strong, you can't take one day. And rather than be inspired by that in the biography, I, I was that, that hit me hard. Because I feel very human, and there are days I need a day, I need a day off. And uh, as strong as the mission is, and as, as great as the calling, to need a, an hour, to need a day, to need to be able to, to retreat. W- what is it like for you and your life mission? How do you relate to that vision or that instruction of the Rebbe? Not only to never retire, I imagine we need you to never retire, but to take a day. Do you ever take vacation? Do you ever tire are you exhausted? Do you ever need to re- reinvigorate yourself? How much do you charge to be my psychiatrist? <laughs> <laughs> I, let me tell you something. There's no one that has the krechus of the Rebbe. Uh, you know, the, by us, the, the, the concept of vacation uh, can't say, you know, uh, by me, the hardest thing that I've gone through in years is that since other, I've not been on a plane. And, uh, you know, so I feel that I, unfortunately, in this situation of these, uh, you know, I am not fulfilling my potential. The Rebbe did not, did not give jobs. The Rebbe gave opportunities. If you fulfill the opportunity, the Rebbe gave you more. And that was the Rebbe's modus operandi, that how did you know if the Rebbe was happy with you? If he gave you more to do. And myself, like thousands of others, you know, we wake up in the morning and we want to know what could we do to make the world a better place of goodness and kindness that will be a source of happiness that the Rebbe will give us more to do. Can't say I don't take a... uh, a vacation, but until Mashiach comes, it's very hard. You know, the Rebbe once told somebody, he said it, he said the public, he says, could be a thousand Jews in your community, 999 you reach. You'll get all the rewards in the world, you'll get Sharabar, you'll get Leviyasa, but your mission you did not fulfill. Wow. Until wow. there is not a Shliach that is reaching each and every Jew, I don't feel that So, I'm, I can't tell you whether I'm patient. I mean, that would be, you know, I'm not a Rebbe. 
but there's a difference between the word vacation or using something as an opportunity to reach other Jews in different places. Like, for instance, if Rabbi Goldberg wanted to meet me in St. Moritz, I'd let him know once every four or five years when I go there. <laughs> Done. I'm in. Okay. Count me in. Rabbi Kalarsleet, I want to thank you so much. This is a long time coming, and uh, we're very excited. It's a big schuss for us to have you here. I want to talk about chinuch, about education. Um, one of the things that um, I find so amazing about Chabad and, and the movement in general is that you have these rabbis in far-flung, or I shouldn't say far-flung, in, in very distant places, and um, their children are not do not have access to Talmud Torahs the way they would if they were in New York or some of the more mainstream communities. And yet they grow up with a passion for Judaism, with an excitement, with an enthusiasm, with a knowledge that even children who sometimes grow up in the New York area or the tri-state area or even Florida aren't, uh, aren't coming out with. What allows a parent in Nigeria, in the UAE, in Thailand, in Hong Kong to be able to educate their child when they don't have the normal tools of education? And what message is that for our parents, for people listening to this, who might send their children to Jewish day schools and, and yeshivas? Um, what message would the Rebbe have had? What message does the Chabad have about how we can better inspire our children? The lessons from what you're seeing from the field. Well, well first of all, there is, you know, a home is an example. What is a house? It's called it. The holiest place in the world, what was it called? The Beis Amikdash. It was a house. It was a house. Doctor, we're waiting today. There's only the Pesel Amaravi. We're waiting for the other three walls to be there with the furniture. But it's a house. A house is basically a home is an example. So the first thing is when you live in a home where the parents are an example, where they do homeschooling, it is a tremendous example. Secondly, there is the, the online school, the Shluchim online school, which is available to the Shluchim all over the world. And, you know, so a person is getting an education, but more than the education that they get from the online school, which is, could be tremendous, where they meet other children and they go into the, see, this new thing with teaching by Zoom and teaching virtually, uh, we've been doing it for many years around the world. So it's really nothing new. But it is that the parents are so dedicated and they dedicate themselves to their children also. So that is what I think makes a very big difference. And what is the message to everybody? The message is what the Rebbe wants to write that everybody should take 15 minutes a day to think about the chinuch of their children, about the education of their children. And if they'll think about the education of their children, the children will grow up with the same passion that they have if they set that example. Wow, that's very powerful, Rabbi. Doing uh, community outreach here in our in, in Boca, it's been uh, you know a, certainly a source of inspiration. Working with all the lo local Chabad rabbis, there's certainly rabbis to me as well. And just one one of the challenges I think that we we've seen now in 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 real time, and it's getting it's getting more and more challenging. You know, if we if we look the last couple of decades. Intermarriage has been on the rise. Today, it's you know eighty percent, high seventies, low eighties, depending on which which study. And we always knew that in 10, 20 years from that point, you're going to start seeing the results of those marriages. You see children growing up in in 
in Jewish families and children growing up thinking they're Jewish, but maybe they're not really what we'll consider halachically Jewish. And now we're at a stage where you don't really know who's Jewish. And I'm just wondering if Chabad as a movement, being the number one outreach movement out there in the world, are are there these discussions taking place? Like, what what are we going to do in, in 10 years, in 20 years, or even right now when, when we're, we're reaching well, out, we're trying to, you know? Go ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry, because I don't hear you that well. So if I rush in, it means that I get the gist of the question. I'll tell you as follows that we have taken an approach that we can't start with kids when they go to college. We We are beginning now for the last number of years to start reaching kids when they're in kindergarten, pre 1A, see kids, which goes to then Chabad on campus, then the young Jewish professionals, and this. And if we want to combat intermarriage, and we're really we're, we're in the midst of creating a blueprint of being able to reach one million Jews that we have not reached, that are going to sign a commitment that they will lead a Jewish life. It's something that we're working on now very, very strongly to combat with such a campaign. Actually, in the first place where I'm, where I'm speaking about this, but we've been putting in a lot of time and effort to see how could we reach to really to perpetuate that, you know, all of these naysayers and everything. And you'll be surprised at how many Jewish kids are being turned back to Yiddishkeit at this period of time. I mean, we take the, you mentioned the UAE before. Rabbi Duchman has been there for six years. Before that, we had some other people that were traveling back and forth. He's been working with the community that each and every kid that is there, I believe, is going to think twice. Uh, and he's going to lead a somewhat committed life. Why? Because he was re- we reached him when he was three, four, five years old. And even as he grows older, he will not... It, it won't, what you learn in these years in the Chabad preschools remain with you forever. And we're human, we try, and we can keep on trying, we're going to keep on innovating. And uh, the one thing I'll tell you is that until Mashiach comes, what the Rebbe wanted from us was to prepare the world for the coming of Mashiach. And until Mashiach comes, we have not, until each and every Jew is not reached, we have not fulfilled our mission. So we're going to work to say we have a 100% success rate. I can't say that. To say we're as good as the people that we send, like you have in Boca, you have a tremendous group of rabbis. You have Rabbi Volovovsky, I think, in BRS, who, hang, who hangs around. And he's he's the, a sweetheart of an individual. Gem. You know, I mean, when you see him, you just want to be religious. <laughs> so, and they see you and they want to be religious. And you take everybody behind the bima, and they don't see a collection plate. They see <laughs> genuine Yiddishkeit. So what more could you want? That's, that's our effort. Rav Katlarski, you've been extremely generous with your time with us tonight. And we don't want to take too much advantage. But we can't leave you without asking you about the Kines HaShluchim. Tell us some behind the bima. How many people come every year? What's involved in organizing the meals, the program Whoa. to coordinate, to, to find the featured speaker? And what does it mean this year that it's moving online? For the Chabad Shluchim who are in very, we can't say far, but not near places, 
and they're not going to have that ability to be together with their chaverim uh, in person. It's virtual. What will that mean for the movement and the mission okay, this year? So I will tell you, this is one of the things which you exaggerated in my uh, introduction. You'll forgive me because God, the Avish has helped me and the Rebbe has really blessed me that I'm surrounded with very good people. And the word is called empowering. There's a group of shluchim that are dedicated people that are in the that work in, in central office, uh, one or two, a few people, and they're the ones that really deserve the credit. You know, I want the cash to be able to pay for it, and I take a very active role. But the shluchim look forward to this. This is the highlight of the year, and I promise the shluchim that after this so-called pandemic is finished, God willing, and that all those that need a full shleimah should have a full shleimah, I'll have all the shluchim that want to come into New York and we'll serve them, we'll host them for three, four days. I'll provide the the food, we'll provide them things to say l'chaim with, and uh, everyone will be able to go to the Yale because I think what is hurting the shluchim more than anything is that they can't go to the Yale now. Mm. And uh, they, some many can't leave their countries and this and what it means to be virtual, next week, Sunday at 1 o'clock, there'll be the grand event. We're not calling it a banquet really this year because we're not giving food. But we'll invite everybody to uh, put on the barbecue, make their own steak, and sit down for a two-hour program. And you'll see the fruits of the labors of the Vada of the Kimis. And... Uh, God willing, there'll be a roll call and there'll be guest speakers, keynote speakers, and there'll be everything. And uh, the Abish always helps us that we try to make the most inspiring program that we can. Rav Kadlatsky, I want to thank you for giving us your time tonight. Much more significantly, to thank you for everything that you do, what you have on your shoulders. And I know you see yourself as part of your greatness is your humility and your modesty. I don't, I'm sure that those who are watching and listening noticed and should all be blown away that you know the name of every one of those thousands of shlichim that you know their families that you know their story that you know their gifts that let's you know their keep talents. the humility as humility okay <laughs> but it's for me it's for me to say I don't, that, don't describe to me that which i you know the things that are better left unsaid i'm i'm glad to be able to play a small role in the rebbe's great mission and his vision of changing the world and making the world a place of goodness and kindness so that we're ready to bring Mashiach. Amen. The, the fact, the fact that Chabad... That I, have, and I want to wish you tremendous atzloch in everything that you do. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the main thing is that uh, we shouldn't have to be... I mean, I'm a child of a Holocaust survivor and I heard part of your of your the conversation before I got on and Baruch Hashem, you know, we will always be there, Am Yisrael Chai, especially when we have Rabbonim such as yourself and the Shluchim around the world. I'm not worried about the extinction of the Jewish people. I'm not, I, I'm worried about it that we have to do something about it, but Am Yisrael will be around forever and ever until Mashiach comes speedily in our days. Let's just Amen. keep on working, let's keep on remembering that the world is made up of millions of Jews 
Our job is to reach them one by one by one. You can count us in. At Bokerton Synagogue, I know I speak for the three of us, that there should be an associate Chabad membership. That even if you didn't necessarily <laughs> come through Chabad, you're a Chabad. This, this, the first, you're, not, you're not associates. You're not associates. Full members. The only Full difference members. is that I'm not, we're not behind the beamer. We're on the beamer. <laughs> and I used to change the name of the show from behind the beamer to on the beamer. Does that mean we get invited to the Kinas next time? What? Does that mean we get to come to the Kinas if we're generals? 100%. I'll even give you a double portion of a double rib steak. <laughs> Amazing. Listen, the, the, we're ca there were two exclusives tonight, two announcements that you made here on Behind the Bima. But that second one of this uh, campaign, this mission, a million Jews, count us in. We're in. We're all Chabad. We're all Shluchim. We're all agents of the Rebbe, agents ultimately, and more importantly, of the Ribbonu Shalom. And you can count us in to do our part. Thank you for everything that you're doing for Klal Yisrael. And thank you for giving us time tonight. Hatzloch Rabbi, and we should see each other and uh, send some sunshine from Florida to New York. We'll do. Amen. Hashem should Amen. give you gesund and strength and health and wellness to continue to inspire so many. Rav Katlarski, right. thank you so much. Call to Rabbi. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Wow. That's great. Incredible. I love Chabad. I love that. You know, there's always like a takeaway line from the interviews. The Rebbe didn't give jobs, he gave opportunities. And I think that's such a great line, right? It's Oftentimes amazing. we're begging people to do things, we're asking people to do things. It's an opportunity, it's an opportunity to give back to the community, to get involved, to do your part in building the, the army of Hashem. I thought that was a wonderful line. I don't know about you, I'm getting text messages. First of all, do you hear me well? Is the yeah. yes. my sound okay? Yeah. The, I'm getting text messages of people who are like on fire, sign me up, I'm yeah, in. Sign me, yeah. the, the Rebbe didn't just, what's so amazing about the Rebbe, and there's no end to the things that are amazing. But the Rebbe didn't just give a mission. He gave a vocabulary. The, the way that Rav Katlarski talks, like you just said, about opportunity and, and, and the notion of shlichos and the notion that unless you fulfill and reaching every Jew and loving every Jew and... You're not far he, away, you're here. Yeah, he gave a whole vocabulary, a worldview, an attitude, an right. approach. It's, and, it's clear and why that's he's... Really where I was, that's really where I was going with my question about education. You know, we struggle because we're raising children in a secular environment and it's hard and they're seeing things and hearing things that are sometimes antithetical to Jewish values. If you go to Nigeria or, or Taiwan or Rwanda, you're get Kalva Homer you're getting that. And yet these kids are coming out on fire and they're indoctrinated with that vocabulary. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about, which is that when parents believe in something, when it's part of, when it's every aspect of their language and they right. wake up with it and they breathe it. So that's how it becomes, um, filter down to the children. Yeah, there's no question about it. It is inspiring. It is contagious. We hope it is contagious. And, um, you know, we can't romanticize in life anything as if it's perfect, but the Chabad movement and the staying power well beyond the Rebbe. The right. Rebbe's gone for more than two decades and it's, it's even bigger stronger and smarter. Now. It, right. It's stronger than ever. And as he said, a generation who ever met the Rebbe feel with the same, if not greater passion to go out there and change and improve the world. And, and, and we alluded to it, but I think it, it bears repeating. One of the very special things about Boca, I mean, I know we boast about Boca a lot, but this is, this is true, is one of the very special things about Boca is our unique relationship with the Chabad uh, Shluchim here. 
whether it's Rabbi Denberg, Rabbi Bukit, whether it's you know, Rabbi Librav, all the Chabad rabbis, we feel very, very close to them. We've traveled with a lot of them. We spend time with them. We go to each other's simchas. There's a genuine love and respect. And I think when we talk about what makes Boca so successful, it's that rabbis aren't stepping over each other's toes. They're not trying to undercut each other. There's a real sense of we're working together on behalf of the Jewish people. And that's something that I wish you would see more of around the country. Yeah, we cherish that. We cherish them, and it takes you know it takes effort, um, but it's not hard because we do love each other and we have a lot of fun together. And I don't know whether they're planning on it, and if we can sneak an invite in, I see some of our dear Chabad friends are actually uh, watching and listening right now. I don't know whether they're getting together to join the kinnis from here, but if we could sneak an invitation in to be part of any local gathering, of course, following all the Corona rules, we would love to get that invite and to be part. Because you heard Rav Katlarski said that BRS is part of the Chabad network. I don't know if my parents are listening, but I just got elevated to general. To <laughs> <laughs> the best news I ever got in my life. It's unbelievable. He compared me to the Alta. I'm as litvish as the Alta Rebbe. I'm happy right now. <laughs> general. You know, I went from private to general. Amazing. You know, I signed up yesterday for the Chabad. There's like a big Facebook group. It's about 10,000 people. So when you sign up for the group, it sends you back. What's your, you have to answer two questions. What's your name and what, what, what Chabad do you go to? So I wrote Bokerton Synagogue. We got accepted. <laughs> do you remember Rabbi Brody? Tell everybody our community yeah. um, had a demographic study fairly recently and the demographer was presenting to the rabbis. And you remember the statistics were like abysmal about how many people are affiliated, reformed, conservative, orthodox. Right. Chabad? <laughs> right, Chabad was like 90% of the Jews of Bamidge County felt connected to Chabad. I know, and then Rabbi Denberg's like, one second, if they're all connecting, where's the money? Where's the membership? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> show me the money. Right. So, yeah, but so. It was a, it's a, what a great guest, what a great conversation. It's really, really inspiring. And we're so grateful that Rav Kalarski made himself available. It's not easy. You can imagine the pressures on his time with all that's on his plate. Plus, the Kinnis HaShulchim is next week. And uh, he's so modest, kept wanting to not take credit for everything really special. And we're fortunate. And I'll say this also, again, it's not tooting our horn, but really trying to promote a brand, a movement, a message, and wanting others to live this way. How many how many podcasts have had on um, Aaron Cutler and, you know, Lakewood, BMG, Shai Schechter and his father, YU, Rav Moshe Weinberger and Neo Hasidus, and now Rav Kutlarski and Chabad. And we're part of all those movements. We're part of it. We're part of it all. Oh. Here it is. Uh, Rabbi we got it. If we do something, we'll invite you 100%. That's can you it. also remind oh, Rabbi Bukit, can you remind Rabbi Kutlarski, he said, I get two steaks at the next yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think I can finish one, but uh, I'll get my two say, steaks. Rabbi Moskowitz, first of all, not without a llama. You can't finish one unless there's a llama <laughs> over your shoulder yeah. watching you. You need that have llama. Ever, have you been to the Kinas, Rabbi Goldberg? I have not. not Every year I'm going to go, every year I really want to witness and experience it firsthand. And the timing has just not worked out, but it'll happen. It'll happen. I went to the OL for the first time this year, where I guess towards the beginning of the year, we were, Simone and I flew into JFK and we're like, you know what? Never been. Took an Uber over. Uh, Yeah. Some of my most introspective moments in life have been at the OL, very late hours of the night. By the way, it would be great if we had the llama right now. Let's pop in. (laughs) It would be great. Right. There's a llama behind me in my house right now. I'm out. I know. I'm gonna, <laughs> the night you'll, before, it's coming uh, back. <laughs> the night before my daughter's wedding this past summer, I took my son-in-law to, he had never been. We went to the OL and we davened and it's a, it's a powerful experience. Even there at the OL to see the diversity of Klal Yisrael yeah. who are all equally connecting to want to be there. And we're an apolitical show, but let's just say 
a daughter and son-in-law of one of the candidates went to the oil before the election and thought that that was an important place to stop. So the oil is definitely a place I will to say my favorite gashmius part of the OL is three cookies. things. The, the cookies, the tea, <laughs> and the heaters over your head. When you go in the winter and it's freezing outside and you have those heaters beam down on you, that, uh, that's, that's, that's gashmius at its best. That is, but it pales in comparison to the to the Ruchnis. We are running out of time. Yet another episode goes flying by with so much more to talk about. So much more to talk um, about. Yeah, but let's just say this. The entire United States of America, actually, I don't know what happened over the last hour, but the United States of America and the whole world are being forced to endure an exercise in patience. We're living in a world increasingly of impatience, of wanting things on demand, and the results of this election, again, we're apolitical, not talking about which way we hope it goes or want it to go or even how we voted. It's no one's, it's no one's business. We're an apolitical show. Um, but we are all being forced, part of the almighty strange 2020, Tavshin Pe'alaf, in exercise, in patience, that we're just going to have to wait until we find out. And the word to wait, patience in Hebrew is savlanut, savlanus, which is to be sovel, to be willing to be forbearing, to be willing to endure to be willing to persevere. And we're all learning it. A country that had been running out of patience was just forced to have an exercise in patience. And we'll see how long we last and how far we get. <laughs> hopefully, we can, hopefully we can come together. A little patience. Any other last uh, observations? Rav Karplarski, the election, Latsin, the Lama. Are you guys still full from today. last week, by the way? <laughs> You still full? <laughs> last Wednesday meal. night was rough. Last there was not a lot of sleep for me last Wednesday night. Right. <laughs> the meal, the meal was fantastic. The meal was great. That the was goat. Fantastic. It was it was that good was stuff. Fun. And we're grateful to our friends and to all of our friends. I want to thank our sponsors again, Jack and Ella Miller, in honor of their grandparents, our dear members, Lou and Shaney Miller. Come down and see them here. They're not coming back so quick. Thank you for that sponsorship. I want to thank all of our sponsors and invite anyone who would like to sponsor going forward. You can email Lee at brsonline.org. Lee at brsonline.org. We value and we welcome, we thank. You sponsor, it helps us bring the messages of the Rav Katlarskis out to the world. If you're listening, for our listeners on the podcast, if you take one moment to rate and review and help us climb that ladder, not for us, you get the message of Rav Katlarski, you get that inspiration, you sign up more, not associate, but full, take on their shlichus, their, their, uh, their, their mission, and we reach those million Jews. We'll Be make them generals movement. as well. Make them generals. Be part of that movement. There's uh, so much more to talk about, but we're going to have to leave it here yet again this week. Thank you, gentlemen, for being with us. want to wish all of our listeners and all of our audience stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Behind the Bima. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next week for another peek behind the Bima.